Hi, you're listening to Manufactured, a podcast about sustainability and the making of fashion. I'm your host, Kim von der Weert, student of human rights, turned garment factory manager, turned sustainable fashion critic. On this show, I talk to some of the most integral people who manufacture what we wear. They aren't the people you see in fashion magazines. They're the people behind closed doors working in fashion supply chains. This episode is part of a mini-series called Crossover Moments, where we explore key moments of personal transformation. We talk to industry experts about the pivotal moments that led them to question and ultimately reject or let go of conventional approaches to sustainable fashion, breaking defaults and choosing alternatives. In this episode, my co-host Dr. Divya Gioti and I talked to Saqib Sohel about his crossover moment that led him to question and ultimately reject conventional approaches to sustainable fashion. Saqib is from Pakistan, and although he currently works for a mill in Pakistan leading responsible business projects, he previously worked in academia teaching technical design. He shares how when he entered the industry, he perceived sustainability to be a really great thing. Pleasantly surprised that people on the other side of the world cared about what was happening in Pakistan. But as his time in the industry progressed, he began to question who this thing we call sustainability is really for. Was it for the benefit of producers in Pakistan, whether that's mills or cotton farmers? It was an encounter with cotton farmers supplying the mill that he works for that began to raise these questions in his mind and eventually became a catalyst for his crossover moment. He talks about the importance of seeking solutions from the source instead of relying on consultants and the need to redefine sustainability beyond mere certifications. If you're new to this mini-series and are wondering what a crossover moment is, I encourage you to go back to the series intro episode where we talk about what this term means and why we thought it was interesting to explore. Sakiba, I want to start by going back to your entry point into the world of apparel production and how you got into this universe, because I think it's maybe a little bit different to other people that we've been talking to on the show who are sustainability professionals by trade. (laughs) I started working in the apparel industry after I graduated from high school. So after high school, we had like a three month off between high school and university. And my father was like, yeah, why don't you go and, you know, do an internship in an apparel factory? And that's how I started looking at the factory. I was very young at that time and like, wow, this is so amazing. You know, everyone is working so hard and making some cool stuff, you know, always looking at these clothes with brands on it. So it always felt like I'm doing something so cool. And that's how it started. So that piqued my interest in textiles a lot more. And then I decided to study textiles. And during my studies as well, I was still doing part-time work, going to the factories, working on uh, different things. But mostly my main job was learning about the quality aspects of it and the merchandising aspects of it, you know, communicating with the buyers at that time as well, but in terms of quality, checking it all. So that really helped me in my studies as well. But after my studies, I came to work full-time in the garment industry for a year or so. And then I decided to, you know, do my master's, went to North Carolina State University, did my textile management from there, and then I decided to come back to Pakistan in 2006. And that's when I decided at that time 
let's go into academics. So one semester led to another and I spent 10 years teaching uh, till 2016. And mostly I started by teaching apparel manufacturing and apparel management. But then my focus was, you know, as time went around, I wanted to see that what else can be done in making students learn about fashion and sustainability. And it was very interesting because uh, back in 2015, I guess, in Dubai when I was teaching, so they had a event which was called Recycle Runway. So they wanted you know people to make something out of recycled items, and I submitted my design out of leftover garbage bags and aluminum trays and all, and I got selected in the top ten, which was very cool. And that was like the beginning of understanding what sustainability was for me at that time. And then I moved to Pakistan in 2016 and started working in the apparel industry again and working in the field of management systems. So yeah, it's very interesting how I got into this apparel industry and now I'm working in Artistic Millionaires, leading a responsible business team which takes care of all the ESG. And one of my favorite topics is cotton farming now and spent four years working with farmers and cotton pickers and then understanding the issues that the communities are facing. And to begin with, it was all about the quality of product and now it has all become about the quality of life for them because if they are happy and if they can be empowered, they will definitely produce good products for us. So I know there's probably more than one, but I want to talk about a moment or maybe a couple of moments or incidents, it's up to you, that made you question your ideas about what this term sustainable fashion means and how it should be done. And maybe you can start with some context. You know, where were you? What was your role? Who else was part of this incident? What year was it? And also, what assumptions or ideas did you have at that time about what was good or what was sustainable or what was bad or what was unsustainable? So context, your ideas, and then that statement. <laughs> When I started working in the industry again in 2016, and I got to know about all these code of conducts and COCs and ISO systems and all, and I was like, you know, this is really robust. But when I started to look at the practice, it became more and more evident that these are just papers. You know, hardly, it's like up to you. If you want to implement it, it's fine. Otherwise, you can just do the bare minimum and get away with the certificate. And lately, we talk a lot about, you know, how people tend to worry more about the certificates than the impact that they are creating. And I think that probably built on and when we started to think about working upstream. So um, back in 2019, when I first went into our spinning mill, trying to improve the systems and the quality of the product, that's where it was pointed out that, you know, look how we're receiving this cotton, you know, it's full of trash and contamination and this and that. And I asked them, okay, how do we improve that? Okay, one way is to, you know, fix the machines and, you know, buy better machines and extra system, which will cost a lot more. But the better way is to go back to the source and tell them that, you know, how to fix that. And that's when I thought, okay, we'll go and, you know, make a system for the cotton pickers and the farmers so they will know and understand how to fix this for us. As we go back to the farms in 2019 and we go and see stuff over there and, you know, the company that I work with, we are way ahead of our competition in the world as well in terms of sustainability. So within the fence, we are doing whatever we can in terms of reducing our carbon footprint and all. 
And I thought this was pretty good, you know, because we are fulfilling all our requirements from brands, customers, from certification bodies or whoever it is. And I thought it was enough, you know, we're doing a pretty good job reducing the use of water, energy, moving towards renewables, the job well done, pat ourselves on the back. But once you go back to the supply chain and go upstream, you realize that this is where the real impact is. This is where the work has to be done. So we went to a small training session with farmers and cotton pickers and all. And after the training session, we were discussing, okay, what else do you need for us to do? And they were like, yeah, we need clean water. And I was like, why do you need clean water? If you just look around 100 meters from you, there's a wide canal of water flowing through. And why don't you use that? And one of the guys, I remember, uh, he was like, just wait half an hour. Uh, let me go and bring that water for you. And then we continued talking and he came back with the water and we're like, yeah, that looks pretty bad, but you can just filter it and it will be useful. He was like, no, because when you chemically test it, it's not usable sometimes even for agriculture use because the level of arsenic and level of other compounds has been growing in that water for a long time. And it's not just because, you know, people are just polluting it. People just are doing normal work. They do not even know how to, you know, take care of all the waste that they had. How do they dump it? And the previous techniques of, you know, pits in their houses and all. So that waste has been secreting through the soil and going into the water table and making the water poisonous for a long time. And the people realized that after they get started to get sick and they did not even know that what was hitting them. They were like, we are getting water from our own wells, from our own home, which is pretty clean. But that happens over time and we realized that, you know, we cannot just close our eyes. And I personally felt that we are part of the problem if we are not part of the solution. I'm buying stuff from them and they have been utilizing pesticides and fertilizers, all chemical based for decades, just to make sure that there is more produce so they can make more money and then we can buy the raw material, which is cotton and make our products. And this cannot go on if you're not part of the solution. That's where it really hit me that, you know, these farms can be properly certified and all, not a problem at all. But the real impact is, is their life going to get better? And I had some understanding, you know, we've been studying textiles and working this for so long and an idea about gods and everything, how organic works. But then again, I thought even that certificate is not enough. You know, you need to talk to people, connect with them, understand what their problem really is. That connected everything for me, right? From when I was studying, when I was working earlier, and there are still some people in the retail sector, in the brand sector, who really have this at the center of their vision, that they really want to make an impact. And you know, these people, we work with them, how they are partnering with us and creating real impact. But still there's a vast majority who still doesn't really care about the impact. And their major goal is just to get a piece of paper that is certified, that shows that, you know, everything is good. So that really was one of those, you can say, turning point where we decided as an organization as well, that, you know, we need to start focusing on fixing this issue and it should not be pushed by any brand or any customer, but it should be our own uh, vision. So that's how it all started to roll and we started to build on that. So this encounter when you went to this cotton farm sort of led you to the realization that, tell me if I got it right, that like what you were doing or sustainability as you were enacting it, let's say, 
before was really according to the vision and the requirements of your customers as opposed to being truly your own vision or your own idea for what kind of transformation was needed. Is that? Yeah, exactly. It's like doing something from somebody else's point of view and from their perspective. And that narrative had to be shifted. It has to be, you know, if it's our problem, we need to fix it our way and to understand it, that it is a problem. So for long uh, periods of time, all the manufacturers, and I'm sure this will echo with everyone who has been a manufacturer, and especially in the global south, that we have been worried more about what the other's perspective is, rather than, you know, being more proactive and understanding how can it be done better? What is our own vision of that? So that has always been missing. And so I want to ask you, how would you say, because now your role, your responsibility, professionally at least, is to lead sustainability for an apparel manufacturer. And so how would you say that you understand this word sustainability today? And can you tell us also a little bit more about the feeling that you have about this word? I'm curious to hear more about that. Yeah, so after that, uh, you know, things had to take a drastic turn. Otherwise, you know, we would still be doing the same thing. And what changed was to understand that this is not somebody else's problem. This is our problem. We need to own that supply chain, right? So not only that, but also we need to make other people understand our perspective. What is our top need and what is not our top need? We had to make it very clear for everyone to understand that, especially, you know, downstream in our supply chain, that maybe our top requirement is not to go towards less chemical at this moment. Maybe it is to move towards uh, more community-based programs, you know, something like that. But uh, that shift takes a lot of time because if you know, everyone is signed up to something, some sort of treaty that makes bird sustainability focused on numbers, be it UN SDGs, be it the 1.5 degree climate change agreement, and now the SBTIs. So everything becomes a number and loses the humanity behind it. Because what is it really impacting? It's impacting the humans, right? It's not just impacting the machinery or the product. What we are trying to really save, are we trying to just save the products that we are making or are we trying to really save the planet or the humans involved with that? So I really believe that at the moment, how we define sustainability and how we work with it, even when we do like life cycle assessment, then we're again stuck with the numbers related to the product. But I would like to really see life cycle assessments and all these sustainability measures done to measure the impact that we're creating in the lives of the people who are part of this cycle. And generally people don't really worry too much about that. And there is no paper about that. There is no criteria set to, you know, empower them and make them better. So that's why what I really feel that, you know, we need to think of sustainability differently now and involve the human element in that. You said to me in our last conversation, we are the ones doing them a favor. Brands and retailers are the ones benefiting both morally and financially from sustainability, not us. We need to take control of our narrative. Exactly, Kim. Um, that's what I meant a little bit when we were, I was talking about the perspective. That Going back to my earlier thought that, you know, I was so impressed by all the brands and retailers who were sending us their COCs and requirements. And I was like, these people are very good. And they're just doing it from the good of their heart. And I'm sure most of them must be doing that. 
but a lot of them are just doing it because what their consumers are demanding. And I really thought, you know, we are just following them. It's not that they are doing it from as a part of donation or a charity. They are benefiting it from increase in sales as well. They're benefiting it in a way that the consumers will see a better image of the company. And that means everything, right? If you are in the stock market, your value will increase or decrease based on these decisions. So it, it should not be thought of as a favor being done by someone for us. It should be more collaborative. We should be thinking of a partnership in which both parties should mutually benefit from whatever we are doing. It should not be that, you know, the manufacturers or the global south or the farmers or the pickers, they're working hard day and night. And what they get in the end is just some money, but they're not uh, really getting the impact at the ground. They're the ones getting disease and everything due to the use of chemicals and all. But nobody's asking them what they really want. My perspective is that nobody's doing anyone a favor, not even us. Everyone has to be in it because it's a necessity. We are in it together. It's a mutual responsibility for the whole supply chain. And we cannot shy away from our responsibility, no matter where we are in the supply chain. It should not be like one step ahead and one, one step backwards. We should all be looking at, you know, multiple steps ahead and multiple steps backward because we are actually impacting that. It's kind of like a broader definition of self-interest, right? Like you do it because it makes you better off too. <laughs> Like, you are better off if other people are better off. Exactly. Like, if my farmer is happy and the person who's working for the farmer is happy, they will do a good job. So not only their life will improve, but the quality of product will improve. So it all adds up. Divya, I want to give you a chance to respond. And I want to start with just, like, the emotions or the images or the metaphors that came to mind as you listened to Saqib's experience. And, you know, does his experience resonate with you? <laughs> well, I think it very, very much um, resonates. A couple of things which, you know, I just scribbled as you were uh, speaking. I think I the point that you see, you know, it's a piece of paper or lives, what does truly matter? And I think you have raised a very, very important question there. Or putting it differently, is it numbers which really matter? or lives of people which really matter and in our previous episodes we were reflecting on whether you know this is a technical problem you know and how sustainability is often made out to be a technical conundrum of sorts or even an operational problem or actually a regulatory problem or a data problem <laughs> or a data problem yes instead of what you've highlighted and I cannot but agree based on my own work and research that it's actually about the people and we are missing out that element completely. So, you know, whose voice and whose experiences are we really after? And who is, when you say that this is actually working, whose agenda is it that we are working on? And who is defining that agenda? You know, when you say, oh, there are treaties being signed. Well, if it's about the people on the ground and the farmers who really need clean water, how do you really link that at one level, at one part of the globe, that life to these bigger questions. And I think those are huge challenges. And the way you've suggested that we might begin to approach or tackle these issues, this notion of mutual responsibility, which I think we were referring to as shared responsibility. How do you really attribute responsibility requires much more deeper thinking? It is not just linear. When you say that it's actually not about just the farm and the product and the quality, but it's actually lives of people. What they want is clean water. We 
are after <laughs> certified cotton with with low pesticides and doing minimal harm but what about those perspectives and i think that it is challenging but in some ways i think your perspective and just the note you ended on that it's not about us feeling indebted and grateful but actually working on it together i think just that changes the paradigm of the relationship but what i would be curious to know if i may when you are responding and sharing your thoughts would be how do you think we can begin these conversations around mutual responsibility or this collaboration any specific examples or experiences which come to mind or any thoughts based on you know lessons from the heartbreaks and the heartaches that you've experienced any thoughts there would be helpful sure devya and thanks for that nobody is against certifications and code of conducts and all of these things but just the perspective has to change it should not be you know uh, from outside to inside it should from inside to outside and you will still get the data and you will still get the certification but only the pathway and the th- way we are thinking about a problem will change it's like really simple right it's like instead of how do we control what somebody else does it's how does my behavior impact you but I have a thought to be on your question about mutual benefit and I'm not sure I'm going to articulate it very clearly but I'm going to try. But one of the things because this word mutual benefit has come up now in a couple of conversations for this series. And what I sort of wonder, I have like a couple of loose thoughts and I'm going to connect them, but to keep you made the point about it was brands and retailers who are benefiting both morally and financially from sustainability. And if I sort of pause on that statement, what I kind of one of the things that's been running through my head not just in this conversation but the last while is is sustainability the way we practice it and do it today? Is it actually just a way of justifying the status quo? in the sense that what we're saying is there are all of these bad things that happen but we are taking all of these actions to make sure that they don't happen and in a way is it a way of actually justifying inequity and inequity is really the barrier to mutual benefit right and that's kind of what i wonder is in a way does the way that we do sustainability today actually the framing for that conversation make it hard to have a conversation about inequity because by definition what it's doing and also if you look at sort of the origins of sustainability and the sweatshop scandals in the 90s and what they were sort of created to achieve maybe in a way they were created to sort of justify these very inequitable outcomes and very extreme inequity across the value chain both between brands and retailers and their suppliers and between suppliers and their employees. I do want to come in Kim on your point about and I think the way I put it when I speak to students <laughs> really is that this is fundamentally about the role of business as an actor in society, right? I think a lot of it has to do with the firm 
or the brands actually, or even uh, supplier firms in some cases, actually responding to the expectations which have been raised. Now, because of the power differential, the way I talk about it is outsourcing happened. We almost kind of outsourced the, the fundamental manufacturing relationship, you know, to a different location, saying that that is not our responsibility to somebody else's problem. And I think that is pretty much when you think about decarbonization and other impacts, that's what we continue to say, right? That it's not really happening within the boundaries of where my manufacturing is. It is actually legally somebody else's problem, whereas we are all intertwined in that relationship where then I think the recognition comes in that, oh, but, you know, you are the most powerful because you are setting the terms of the contract or the way, you know, the product is being defined. When you're talking about ownership, if ownership kind of comes in, maybe then it is more about trust. So, you know, the point I've written down is, is it's trust deficit versus control. If the trust somehow we can build and strengthen those aspects, maybe the way we are controlling and the way it is all a one-way control kind of approach, we might be able to influence that in, in some way or the other. And finally, the, the point about what is often referred to as greenwashing. You know, you would you can almost argue when you say the fun thought that you shared that, OK, we'll continue doing what we're doing, but we'll do something at the other end. But it doesn't add up. I mean, and, and you would be familiar with the term materiality, right? The material impacts of your operations. If you do not address them, and I think that is a bigger question for the industry that we are all a part of. If we are not thinking about the material impacts of the industry, I mean, just the way we are consuming is not going to, you know, address any of those challenges. So I think you've touched upon a range of things, but I do want us to kind of maybe prod a little further around this notion of inequity alongside mutual responsibility. I think those are the two things which in my head do not reconcile <laughs> right now. But the trust deficit is also related, right? I think like inequity is the root of all of that. I don't know if that's too bold a claim, but like when one entity or several entities are being exploited. Yeah, but, you know, I can have been working in this industry for so long. You know, you have to see the other side as well. At some point, someone has done something to break it, break the trust, which has made it more paper based, you know, more tracking based and more numbers based. And I think I'm sure Divya would agree with that. You know, when we started working back in the late 90s and 2000s, we would not have so many audits and certifications and all. And that has only increased with time. And you would imagine that, you know, with more understanding of the subject, with more working done, why would this paperwork and all this double checking, triple checking would increase? And I think that's where the trust deficit comes in, that people still, uh, you know, need that paper but they still don't trust that paper or trust the ability of the other people because in the end, nobody's seeing the real impact, right? So that's why maybe the trust deficit is there. And to answer your question earlier, Devia, when you are talking about what can be done, and Kim knows that, you know, my personal passion for this is collective action. We need to work collectively. We cannot leave anyone out of it, small or big, because, you know, some people have great ideas, but not amazing resources. And some of our supply chain partners have resources and they have to sit together and understand each other, right? So more and more we discuss and talk about things and more of our voice, who is actually doing the work, should be there where everyone meets. You know, it can be conferences, webinars, seminars, wherever you are, but we need to give 
not only a seat at the table, but also the voice at the table for people who really matter. You know, I cannot sit and discuss about something which I'm not part of. So I need to bring somebody in who is really suffering from it or who is going to be at the receiving end of whatever I decide with Kim, for example. I think that's one of the areas where I struggle with this word collective action, because I know it's a very on-trend word at the moment. And maybe I want to ask you, Saqib, how you would define it. But before I do, well, I'll tell you how I've defined it or where I've landed in my head on the definition. But it is collective action is sort of shared responsibility. So it's this shift from this is your problem to this is our problem. One of the barriers to having a more collective conversation, I think, is that there is a lack of awareness or understanding or recognition of how the responsibility currently is not shared. And I also struggle to articulate this, like how and why is sustainability really has become a supplier problem. And if we want to approach this issue collectively, we have to say it's our problem as a value chain. But we can't have that shift if people don't first get on board with the recognition and acknowledgement that the way we're doing it now is a supplier problem. I say that like struggling myself to articulate or find the vocabulary or the language to explain this to people. Kim, actually, you know, I remember when I came over to Amsterdam, I was in an SLCP meeting and we were having a round table over there. And we were looking at the textile supply chain and people were like, it's so complex. How do we fix this with a solution? And one of our views was that don't look for simple solutions. It's a complex problem. A solution is going to be complex as well to begin with. So don't come and sit and think, okay, it's such a complex problem. We'll find one solution. To give you an example, like one way of measuring sustainability or one way of measuring feasibility, there might be multiple ways because it's such a complex industry. It's not like simple, this one farmer, one producer and one retailer. In between, there are so many things happening and you cannot just use one solution that will fit all. So we have to come up with a solution which might be complex. And I think that's where people really get scared that they don't want to be involved in a solution which will really take a lot out of them because it's not easy to implement these solutions. So yeah, for me, as you said, collective action is actually shared responsibility and equal responsibility or proportional responsibility. And by which I mean the proportional response should be higher where there is more power, you know, not with those. Oh, more margin? Yeah. And that's why the more power, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. But just being clear how we're defining power. <laughs> yeah. I think the power is, is with the one, as Divya said, who's setting the contracts. So I don't see any farmers setting contracts. I also want to just touch upon this point which you've highlighted around the complex problem requires a complex solution. And I think overall it seems that we want to kind of run away from the messiness, you know, just messiness of life in general. It's always about the top three thing, the top one line, you know, uh, condense, condense, simplify, simplify, and we simplify and reduce and abstract so much that I think we completely lose the very essence. And I think that's the biggest challenge with even audits. If you think about it, the ethos, the process is very valuable. But the way the enactment has happened, it has become simplified and become all about a piece of paper. And I think similarly, you know, what you're talking about, even in these ongoing approaches. So I think 
just to add to the the spectrum of ideas and notions alongside trust inequities how we are really defining whose agenda whose voice i think it's worth adding that maybe recognizing the messiness which is perhaps the very way of being of human life is important we can't really slice that away and i think because we want to keep doing that we often end up losing sight of what truly matters i think i'm more cynical <laughs> <laughs> okay what do you mean by that i mean like people run away from the messiness but which people are running away from the messiness the people with power the people with power and is it that they fear the messiness or is it that they fear implicating themselves i think that's the later right they don't want to be involved with that have a nice uh, yardstick you know keep the problems away from us and make it your problem well it, it means saying you're part of the problem right and it's like that's uncomfortable it is it's not easy to accept that can is it but the thing is i would say i mean sakib that in some ways you just going back to the incident you were there you could have very well said in that you know village out there that it has really nothing to do with me you could have right but you didn't you in fact said i'm a part of the if i'm not a part of the solution in fact that's a line i absolutely love that i am a part of the problem if i'm not helping even inaction is a choice it is combined there is a connect maybe one individual cannot change the entire organization i have been doing a project where i've been talking to sustainability professionals and not just the fashion industry yes they recognize that they can only do so much as an individual but i think what they can do is is quite a bit so i understand completely that it is important to recognize that we are cynical but i think i am also a tad bit hopeful when i meet people like you when i'm listening to people like sakib and all of you know so many others who do give me a reason to to hope for the fact that we are having this conversation i mean in fact i was thinking when we started that we've come really far in just the i would say just the span when the podcast was set up if you think about it when one just wanted to talk about these things to actually being able to raise these issues and initiate conversations so i think individuals do i think can make a difference and i think that's pretty much the theme of this mini series in some ways yeah this has been sakib an undercurrent of i think everything that you have articulated so far but maybe a nice place to close this conversation is to ask you it explicitly how would this word sustainability be framed differently if suppliers and potentially also other stakeholders had more voice and what does this word voice mean to you i'll answer the second question first for me voice means and this is what i learned from when i was doing some dni training that you know you cannot just involve people and make them sit on the board and say yeah we filled the numbers and everything is good we also need to listen to them and not to listen to them but process what they are saying and implement that and that's what the voice means for me as well if everyone really believes and understand that the solution is going to be coming from where the problem is then you hear the voice and it's like i was also you know doing a lot of kaizen training and giving training and understanding and this is where the thought has stuck from that if you want to find a solution to any problem go to the source the person or the process whatever it is 
and then just talk to them and ask them what solution do you have in your mind rather than imposing a solution and that happens so much in the industry that you hire consultants they come in they propose a solution which they have no idea of they might have done this in the auto industry but they feel that this will also be applicable in the textile industry sometime it works sometime it doesn't but what works 100% of the time is if i go to the person who is doing that job and just work with them talk to them for some time they know they know the solution they know in their heart they just need someone who will listen to them right and same goes for our industry as well all of us in the industry in our places we know what the solution should be right sometimes it's has to be enabled through cost sometimes it has to be enabled through proper backup or sometimes it has to be enabled through just having more people around so we just need to have that poison so for me if you want to define sustainability i think we need to change this word and t- turn it into something else because it has become for most of people such evil word because of greenwashing related to it so we need to redefine it in a way that it should not feel whenever i hear sustainability i hear paperwork i hear you know treaties and all of that but in fact what i should be hearing would be a real impact there might be people listening to this show and listening to this conversation who's, who are thinking, well, I really want to hear what either manufacturers or suppliers or even people on the production floor have to say about these issues, but I can't get them to talk. I invite them to this and that working group. I invite them to give feedback on this or that, and they don't come. What would you say to those people? I would say come to us. Don't be shy. We don't bite. We do a lot of work and we would love to host people where the real uh, issues are being solved. You know, it's nice to visit Europe in the summers and attend a conference. But I would really love to have the people come over and see how the farmers are doing, how the apparel manufacturers are doing, how the mills are doing, see the real work and we have seen that. People who come and visit us they go back with a different sort of clarity the designers that come to visit us the product manufacturers the buyers when they see what's happening then they are able to understand the whole situation it's like somebody has opened their eyes or took off a couple of filters and i think this is what it means you know if you really care about what you believe in then you will not be shy from uh, reaching out and coming over I'm sure that you know some people might say oh manufacturers are too busy they have to produce so much they don't have time for this and that and they might be true to some extent but if you keep on pushing in this direction you know we will come around and as Devia was saying and we have seen that over the last 5 6 years the level of awareness that we see in manufacturers and the whole supply chain is increasing at an exponential level and that is because more of these discussions are happening near us rather than happening away from us. So I think that's one way of dealing with that. I just want to pick up that thought beautifully put uh, Sakib come to us but I just want to extend that by saying that 
if we want to address these issues it's about recognizing and speaking to human and not making supplier an entity which is what it becomes you know supplier is an entity worker is an entity it's a category in our conversations processes communications but to recognize that there is a human and you pick up the phone and talk you take a flight and go you sit down and have a coffee you know what i mean and i think maybe that's what this is about that we kind of recognize and celebrate the fact that you know we are humans and that's how we will get things uh, done perhaps that is so true to you as kim said don't send me a form right the form will only be filled with stuff which will be politically very correct talk to me and you know we discuss openly and share because uh, one other thing is and i don't know if i speak for everyone but i'm sure i pretty much everyone manufacturers are scared of telling the truth right there is so much repercussion around that and i think that happens for the retailers as well when they don't want to say the right things to the consumers that oh sorry we cannot produce everything 100% sustainable but these are the options let's fix it together and it's not going to be a you know short term solution if you want a long term solution we really need to push and go in it for a long term right so i think that's one thing that we need to take out of the system that we don't need to be scared of each other we don't need to be afraid of sharing the truth and it should not be taken as a bad thing if i say okay maybe you know there is a problem of chemical management in my farm level but can you help us in fixing that maybe someone has experience from some other country they can give me an idea of how to fix that so i think yeah, that is another point which gives us as tvo saying a lot of heartache that you cannot truly express what you want to say yeah i mean i think that's a real thing right and that's also like the show i've said this before but a lot of the people that i have coming on this show are people with whom i've built a relationship with over a year or several years before they agree to come on the show and it, that's why right because they have to trust me they have to trust that i'm not going to put forward their story in a way that compromises their livelihood and it's kind of an intangible you know like but the thing is and then the more you put out those stories also then the more trust you get and the more people you have coming to you saying hey i'd like to find a way to put out the story or what you're saying resonates with you and you start to sort of build a little bit of of momentum and that's i think been for me the most rewarding part of this show is the collection of individuals that are sort of pushing in a similar direction that have sort of been brought together as a result divya any final thoughts before we close this conversation or sakib anything that you want to say that you haven't had a chance to say no i just want to say thank you so much sakib this was inspirational but i think the beauty of this conversation i want to say is perhaps an an illustration of acknowledging the discomfort and finding somehow a makeshift vocabulary to acknowledge the discomfort staying with it and trying to kind of nudge forward or make efforts and i think that's what perhaps we need to be trying to do is to almost humanize just the whole process i think that's the takeaway for me acknowledging the state of our own being as individuals and as you know a collective on the planet and kind of trying to acknowledge and carry that forward within the work and the space so thank you so much oh so thank you so much divya very kind words 
I think one thing I missed to talk about was, and this is directly towards Devi, of course. When I was teaching as well, and I used to always think because I had some industry experience, that these kids are going to go, going to go in the industry at some point, you know. And it's part of our responsibility to get them ready and understand all these concepts because they will be very good at sewing and pattern and managing and all that stuff. But if they don't understand this bit, so they will always fail. So I really believe that academics have a very important role to play, that they need to understand what this word really means, that we're talking about what uh, collective action really means, what shared responsibility really means. And you cannot just you know, buy away your guilt by buying one pair of organic pair of jeans while you have uh, 10 non-organic or other kinds of materials. But you need, you need to believe in the whole process and give each other space to find solutions that can provide a long-term solution for everything, right? So when you do all these discussions in an academic environment, then I think people are more ready to listen more. They're ready to absorb more. That's what I've seen. Thanks for listening to Manufactured. I've been your host, Kim von der Weert, and if you learned something new from this episode and want to support the show, come say hi to me on LinkedIn or drop me an email on kim at manufacturedpodcast.com. And of course, subscribe, rate, and review us on the podcast app you're listening to this episode on. Take a look at the episode description for all the details and stay tuned for more.